0: Running a car in the UAE can be an expensive process, but there are a number of ways to cut costs. One rule of thumb includes limiting payments on a car loan to 10% of your monthly income to ensure your total costs for petrol, repairs, maintenance and insurance stays below 20% of your income. Another tip is to replace your car if repair costs are too high. And some people question whether you need a car at all. So how can we ensure that running a car does not break the bank? And should we rent, buy or take taxis? I'm Alice Hain, the personal finance editor of The National, and joining me is Louise Burke, homepage editor at The National. Later, we'll be joined by Imad Hamad, the co-founder of carswitch.com, a second-hand car platform. And we'll also hear from a UAE resident who decided the most cost-effective option was to ditch their car altogether.
1: So, Louise, do you own a car? Hi, Alice. I do. Uh, When I first got to the UAE, I didn't think I would buy a car um, but then I got very lucky and one of my neighbours was advertising a 10-year-old Volkswagen Touareg on a Facebook uh, community group for the area that I lived in um, and I managed to buy that for about 11,000 dirhams cash which seemed like quite the bargain so I went for it uh, and I've been driving ever since.
0: That's, that does sound like a, a good deal and has it, has it been a, a really good bargain in that are you paying expensive maintenance bills?
1: I've actually done okay. Uh, I I took it for a service for the very first time last week, uh, after having it for I think now ten months, Um, and that was about fifteen hundred dirhams in the end. Um, I mean, after they originally quoted me about in the end, (laughs) after they originally quoted me about ten thousand dirhams, um, and I managed to bargain them down to just the basics. Um, So I would say it's worked out quite well. I think. The cost in total I looked at before today, I think I've spent about 15,000 dirhams, including the cost of the car.
0: And that's over what period again? About 10 months. Okay. All mm. right. I mean, it, it depends. I, I, When I first arrived here 15 years ago, I bought second-hand cars. My husband and I bought second-hand cars. Um, that was just the natural thing that I would do in the UK. Uh, it didn't work out for me. I bought a second-hand um, Jeep Cherokee Sport Every time I went to the garage, the bills were coming in about 10,000 to 15,000 dirhams. And I kept thinking, what is wrong with this car? And there was a backstory. It turned out that it was a a U.S. salvage vehicle, and that's something we can talk about later in in the program. But I ended up selling it and passing it on, uh, and it was just a very horrible, expensive process and a big learning curve. So I actually ended up buying a new car after that, which is something I would never do in a million years But with that, I got a good deal. I bought during Ramadan. I made sure I had a service package and and all those little add-ons. And as a result, uh, nine years later, I've got the same car and it's still in great condition. And the same applies to my husband's car. We also then bought a new car for him. And that one is now 12 years old and in fantastic condition because we've just looked after them. And the idea is, our strategy is buy and hold and just keep it going. Make sure you service it regularly and keep it in good condition. But going back to that bill... So how did you get it from 10000 to 1500
1: um, Well, I took a look at it for starters. I think the most important thing when you go to the mechanic um, is to make sure they send you all details of what they're going to charge you before you give them permission to proceed with anything. Um, and then go through it item by item and see what's absolutely necessary. I mean, when you've got a 10 – maybe if you've got a new car um, and you want everything to be absolutely perfect, you might be willing to pay everything and pay top dollar for verified or certified parts um, and this kind of thing. But when you're like me and you're just trying to keep a 10-year-old car running um, on the cheap – um, I'm going through it, thinking things like three 300 dirhams for replacing the wiper blades. No, thank you. A uh, thousand dirhams for replacing the shocks on the bonnet. No, thank you. Don't need it. Um, you know, you just, and even if you're not really sure yourself exactly what's needed and what isn't, if you just say to them, "Can you please send me that invoice back again with just the things that are absolutely necessary for safety?" Uh, you find that almost everything gets stripped off all of a sudden and it's just the important things like the brakes, um, you know, the oil change uh, filters, that kind of thing. Um, So, yeah, you can get rid of some really unnecessary charges very quickly.
0: You should also ask for the best price. That's always been my trick because I go along to the garage and, you know, the bill will be high and I'll say you know, come on, what's the discount, what's the discount? And I'll ask that consistently. But I think my record was once a 16000 dirham bill that I eventually paid 6000 on. And that was just haggling over the discounts. There's all these hidden discounts that we don't know about, and if you don't ask, you don't get them. But you just have to negotiate. And, and don't assume that just because it's your dealer that, uh, that they aren't going to give you a discount. They will give you a discount. You've just got to make sure you ask for it. But it's not just maintaining a car, is it, Louise? It's it's all the other things. It's petrol, uh, speeding fines, unfortunately, um, kind of surprise costs if you have an accident. There's all these things that might happen along the way that you're not thinking about. And those are the costs that are harder to manage. Have you found that at all?
1: Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, we can all have the best intentions in terms of um, making our budgets for the year and thinking what it's going to cost us. And of course, I don't think anyone budgets in things like speeding fines, um, or if you're having a car accident and for example, with my car, I, I don't insure it for a write-off because it's, you know, that cheap that it's just doesn't seem worth the extra premiums. Um, but I just factor that as a, as a thing that I might have to eventually, if I accidentally run at the back of somebody or something, hopefully that will never happen. Uh, but then I'll just have to go searching for another bargain car basically. Uh, it would be unfortunate. Um, well, you
0: might not run into the back of somebody, but somebody <laughs> else might run into the back of you. That's the problem I've had is it's just those little taps on the back of the car and you're like, oh, and you stop and then you look and the back of your car is pushed in and the whole police report. But then, you know, there's still a cost. There can be a cost. Obviously, if somebody hits you generally, you should not have be liable for it. And so you don't incur that cost. But you, you can't guarantee that. And it can go against you. So... There's hidden costs and speeding fines is, is a big one. We all do try to drive very slowly. And as everyone knows, I'm very careful with my personal finances. Unfortunately, my personal finance failing is uh, speeding fines. Um, I, I think I know where the speeding cameras are and I'm not actively trying to speed unfortunately I just have a natural inclination I'm sure it's a genetic thing just to put a little bit of a heavy foot on that accelerator I don't even notice I'm doing it then flash 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 and then I get all the the texts and then have that discussion with my husband and it's an ongoing uh quarrel that we have is that I just I don't know what I'm doing but I just can't sort the speeding fines out. So this year, and that's fact, that was my New Year's resolution to just drive slower. So I drive 20 kilometers slower. It's absolutely killing me, but it means I'm not paying any more speeding fines.
1: I think it's a real thing in the UAE that... um You know, we have brilliant roads, they're really high quality and you're allowed to go really fast in a lot of places um, and, you know, people have great cars. So you get very used to being able to drive at a fast speed compared to, say, the UK or Australia and you can just get caught out occasionally not realising that speed limit's changed and suddenly you've got a 400 Durham speeding ticket, probably in the best case example.
0: Absolutely, but there's lots of other costs so I think at this point we should bring in Imad because he can help us uh, work out different ways that we can cut those costs. So Imad, CarSwitch.com once calculated the total price of renting to be between 60,000 to 65,000 dirhams a year. Taking an Uber or Karim about 45,000 a year and owning a car would cost you 35,000 to 40,000 a year. So do those figures still apply?
2: I believe in the grand scheme of things they do, uh, the macroeconomics of of kind of renting, hailing, or owning haven't really changed. There's been obviously major changes in the market with uh, Uber's acquisition of Kareem, which makes things less competitive. RTA has started putting their cars on Kareem. So that may have uh, changed the ride-hailing costs uh, a little bit. But I wouldn't expect a major change in those economics because fundamentally, All of these are profit-driven segments, right? Renting a car needs to make money. And accordingly, economics have to be more expensive than owning a car because that's what the renter is doing. Similarly, hailing is a similar concept. These guys need to make a profit at the end of the day. So ultimately, I still believe the the car owning will ultimately be the cheapest option if done uh, in the right way, so to speak.
0: So what's the right way?
2: So I'm obviously biased here in that I founded a company that supports and advocates kind of used cars. And it's a strong belief that I have. And I believe you mentioned earlier in the same boat, the largest cost to owning a car we actually didn't mention is depreciation that ultimately trumps all of these other costs. And so uh, as long as you're not buying a brand new car, it is much cheaper to own a car than other options. When you do buy a new car, the equation changes because there's a very large uh, depreciation hit that you take in the very first year of driving that car off the lot. And the older the car is, the less cost you lose because the depreciation tapers off.
0: The only thing argument I have about that is with a new car, you do know where that car, you know exactly what you're getting and you, you know the history of that car. So how can you ensure that the car that you're buying secondhand has not been in an accident, isn't dodgy in any respects?
2: Right. So uh, there are many ways of ensuring that, right? So it's a bit of a myth that the history is unclear, especially in the UAE. Actually, the history is a lot more certain than most other markets. Uh, The the obvious suspect is you get the car inspected. So on carswitch.com, every car is pre-inspected. You put the results on the website so that users can actually see what is the current condition of the car. Uh, even if you're not buying a car from CarSwitch, you can go ahead and get the car inspected at the garage that you trust or even the local dealership itself. Uh, that's actually more relevant to you than the history of the car. Because ultimately all history tells you is that the previous owner maintain it, that they do the service on time, et cetera. These are all indications that the car is in good condition. But you could short circuit that whole conversation by actually getting it inspected, right? And find out what is it that needs to be repaired, what doesn't, what's the current condition. Ultimately, I would argue that even if a car has had an accident, that does not mean it's a bad car. It could have been a minor accident, it may have been fixed perfectly, and it's perfectly okay, right? So I don't think necessarily looking at history and saying, oh, it's had an accident, or oh, the, the service was 5,000 kilometers late, necessarily means it's in poor condition or going to cause you problems. A certified mechanic can let you know what is likely to break down and what isn't, and what is the cost of that repair. And ultimately, you buy used because it is much cheaper. So if you do incur some additional costs in repair, as long as you're aware of them and you put them in your math, it should be perfectly OK.
0: So Louise has bought a 10-year-old car. Yep. Would you advocate buying a, a younger car than that, possibly one or two years?
2: Uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think different lifestyles and, uh, you know, cars is, is a little bit of a statement. And it's something that some people enjoy. Others use it for point A to point B. So it's difficult to answer that question in general terms. It really depends on the individual and what you're looking for. In the UAE, 85% of cars are younger than 10 years. Older cars get exported. They're not even here. Um, And actually, the majority of cars are even a lot newer than that. So uh, CarSwitch is probably biased in that regards, but on our platform about 60% of our cars are 2016 and newer. So they're generally much newer. And it's a reflection of the market. Yes, we're a little biased towards newer, but it's still a fair reflection. So I think whether, you know, do I recommend going very old or slightly old? My personal take is slightly old, but that's just because of my personal preferences. A car that's 10 years old is Years old, it will naturally require some additional maintenance, some additional repair, may break down. Uh, but ultimately, if you're buying it for 10, 11,000 dirhams, yeah, I mean, that's part of the math. It might be actually a great deal, and it's a good idea if you're up for that
1: probably interject here and say it had only done about 105,000 on the clock. So while it was old in year terms, it was yeah, relatively unusual. new in terms of um, its usage.
2: Absolutely. So, the average per year in this country is about 20 to 25,000 kilometers. So you have a 10-year-old car with four years of age on it is also not um, normal or not usual. Yeah, so.
1: I think I think I got very lucky. Yeah.
0: So with maintenance, I mean, a lot of people recommend going to the actual dealership and having your car maintained through them because you know you're going to get the right parts for your car. Is that the best idea, or is it best just to find the cheapest garage?
2: So uh, I think that, again, goes to kind of personal preferences and how confident and comfortable you are as an individual. Uh, I personally prefer to go to the official dealership. I say that from uh, a bad experience, right? And everybody has one of these anecdotes. But one time I got my car repaired at the local dealership that was recommended by a friend, et cetera, et cetera. And in the end, turns out he was using used parts, but charging me for new parts, didn't really make a difference in my experience in terms of driving the car. But ultimately, if I'm paying new, I want new. So, and, and this is, you know, a random anecdote that I've had. I think if, if you have a person that you trust and you know is doing a good job, there is obviously a saving uh, to avoiding the official dealership. If you're the individual that maybe does not know that much about cars or doesn't have the time uh, to have that headache, it's probably easier to just go to the dealership. I absolutely second your earlier statement, which is everything in life is negotiable, including the official dealerships. You can negotiate the rates down. They very often give 20% off on uh, parts. Um, so it's a discussion to have of what's critical, what's not, and what can be discounted.
0: And not to be ashamed, because I, I, I never feel any shame asking.
2: I, I, because the, I, I want to It's the game. fun of the hunt. Uh, there's yeah. that, it is, uh, it's part of the excitement is actually getting a deal, right? So... You got to put yourself out there. And usually it's as easy as asking, What's the last price? Yeah, <laughs> and then come, that's the first round, you'll get something.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What about regular servicing? You know, my dealership is always calling me up and and saying, Alice, you haven't been in for six months. And that's because my car is older now. So my philosophy is I only need to go every 10,000 or possibly every 15,000. Would you agree with that?
2: Well, it depends on uh, the the type of oil that you're using to renew. So I think servicing is important, right? Whether you do it at the dealership or outside. Ultimately, your car will eventually cause issues if it's not being serviced in a timely manner there are very cost-effective ways of servicing your car. If it's simply uh, an oil change and filter change, you could do that at your local gas station. Much, could, much more affordable.
1: Just to interject, you can also do that yourself. Yeah, yeah that,
2: that's another... <laughs>
1: People forget to do that here. That
2: is not the culture of UAE, though. Yeah. Right? So this is more of a, a service-based industry, which I, I think is fair enough. And there, And it's honestly pretty affordable to do it in gas stations if you don't know how to do it yourself, which is a fair push. Um but yeah you don 't have to go to the dealership to do these things but if if we look at you know the to reduce the cost of ownership ultimately uh, you know and we 've looked at this from a from from an analysis standpoint, right about seventy percent of the annual cost of owning a car is depreciation there's another roughly fifteen to twenty percent, which is your fuel salic kind of day to day expenses we didn 't count speeding fines because that you know is a spiky metric. Uh, and then you have about ten percent is insurance and the remaining ten percent is cleaning, maintenance, etc. These this analysis was done on relatively newer cars. I think the maintenance would obviously grow as the car gets older. But you know, if I if I give you the breakdown that seventy percent of the ownership cost is depreciation, then you know, lifting your foot off the pedal to save a bit of gas is not going to move the needle for you. That it's just not important enough. Similarly, servicing is not where the cost is going. It is primarily uh, use metrics, so the fuel, the salic, which roads you're using, how to avoid that, which is pretty obvious to avoid if you have the time for it. Depreciation, by used, and then there's many other metrics to pay attention to. And then insurance. These are kind of one-off activities where I would put my effort in reducing the cost. I think the others are a lot of effort for little return is probably not worth the risk of not servicing your car to save, you know, the extra 200, 300 dirhams, but then end up with a shot engine or something that's much worse.
0: But they do say things like rotating your tires and checking your air pressure on your tires can help to reduce that cost. Because they're quite expensive outlay tires.
2: uh, They can and don't necessarily have to be, right? So there are cheap tires that you could get. So I think... There are many moves that you could do to minimize cost. Uh, you've absolutely mentioned some of them, but I, I don't feel that they move the needle enough. Ultimately, it all comes down to what car you purchased in the first place and how much you paid for for day one. That's where most of the money is going.
0: Okay. If you've got a question about your car and how to reduce costs, contact us on pf at the AE, And remember that PF stands for personal finance. We've now got a question from a listener who is TH in Dubai. And he says, my car costs a fortune to run. When I bought it, it was just over a year old. But the maintenance bills every couple of months are extortionate. And I rarely pay below $8,000 to $10,000 a service. Because it is an American brand, a friend advised the car might not be GCC specified. Or worse, it might be from the US salvage market and could even be two cars stuck together. Is this possible? And how do I find out? So I did mention earlier in the in yep, the show that I it is possible. I it is possible because uh mine was a salvage car and um you know it was a lovely car, but yes, it was an absolute disaster because I think it actually was two cars stuck together that had been in an accident. So how how can people find that
2: out? It's not difficult by the way. So uh two ways. One is you could do the car fax check where you put the chassis number in an online portal, it's US based, and that identifies if it is a salvaged vehicle. Uh, It is not a comprehensive check, by the way, so it might miss it, but more often than not, you catch it. The other way to investigate, and kind of the way we do it on car switch, is that you have a a paint meter, which is effectively a device that measures the density of the paint on every panel of the body. And when a car is repaired or repainted, that density changes. And accordingly, even if you don't know what the accident history is, it's very easy to to identify uh, what parts of the car have been repainted. You can identify the number of panels that have been repainted. Typically, salvage cars that have been in major accidents have major damage. And accordingly, several panels will be repainted. Uh, We more often than not, whenever we're inspecting an American specification car, find that probably 80% of the time. It has several panels repainted, which is indicative of major damage. Wow. Uh,
0: I thought the law had changed, though, that it's harder to, you can't, you can no longer import U.S. salvage vehicles. Right, but there's a
2: lot of vehicles in the country already, Ah. right? And you're buying secondhand, so they're probably changing hands. Uh, I, I would also note that salvage doesn't necessarily mean an accident. It could be a flooded car as well. All of these are major damages where insurers deem uh, it's better to write off the car than fix it. They get fixed usually with non-original or in cheaper ways to make it economical and export it to other countries. Because it's another country, the history is a bit harder to identify, and so you can get away with selling it. Uh, to be fair, in the UAE, on average, an uh, American-spec car is probably 30% cheaper than its GCC equivalent. And that's not because the car is necessarily worse. It's just because there's a very high suspicion that it is a salvage car, and people will pay less for that. And so, if you, if you are unfortunately, I would highly recommend avoiding uh, non GCC spec cars.
0: I just didn't know it was a lot. It was 2005. I was new in the country. I went to a reputable dealer, and they they sold me the car. I won't name the one here, but yes, it's right. it, no, it, unfortunate. It, it, it was unfortunate. How do you make sure you've got a GCC spec? car that is not salvaged.
2: So to know with certainty, you get the chassis number, you call the local dealership, you give them the chassis number and ask them and they'll tell you uh, if it's their car or not. Uh, If you want to, if you don't have time for all that trouble, another quick way of hacking it sort of is the, um, the plate number that's typically on the driver's door, that sticker will have Arabic writing on it. If it doesn't have Arabic writing, it's not from an Arabic country. So at least you know that it's probably from the U.S. or from Europe. You don't necessarily know if it's from the UAE, but at least uh, you kind of check the box on is it an American import. Having said that, by the way, American import does not mean it's a bad car. It's just that more often than not, they are salvaged. If, If you have a friend in the U.S. that sends you a car and it's in good condition, it might be all right. So
0: what can TH and Dubai do? Does he need to sell the car? I mean, can he sell the car if, if it is a, a, a salvage vehicle?
2: Yes, so absolutely you can sell the car. There's nothing wrong with that. And typically, the, you know, whether it's American spec or salvaged even, it's all a reflection in the price. There is a market kind of for everything. Uh, if the maintenance costs are ex- exorbitant, then it probably would make sense from a cost of ownership perspective to at this point sell the car and buy different one
0: which is exactly what i did all those yeah. years ago and when exactly. i sold it i did feel quite bad because the buyer did ask me a lot of questions is this a good car and i was like yes it's a good car <laughs> and it was it was an awkward conversation but you, you know
2: with these things like good and bad is ultimately a reflection of the price you will most, I, yes i most give them a good problem. deal exactly you'll most probably be buying these cars for cheaper they're not gcc spec you know it's pretty evident that there may be issues in them um so
0: and um, I did take it to the garage before I sold it and did as much as I could to make sure it was roadworthy and safe. Right,
2: And look, to be honest, most sellers will not do that, right? It's human nature, you're stuck with a car, you need to sell it, you may discount it, but you're not going to necessarily uh, speak to every detail of your experience with that car. That's why I firmly believe anybody that is buying a used car, you must get the car inspected get uh, any local garage or the official dealership to have a look at it. You may initially want to avoid the pain and the cost of doing so, but it does pay dividends.
0: That's great. Thank you very much, Imad.
2: Sure, my pleasure.
0: Now we are joined by Philip Bohoshi, founder of Magnet, who decided the most cost-effective way is to not have a car at all. So, Philip, you ditched your car. When did you do that?
3: So, back in 2013, I did my MBA, and upon returning back from my MBA, um, I had sold my car. And uh, I basically used to work in the DIFC, live in the marina, used to commute every day. And then when I came back, I worked in the family business and then started my own company. Uh, And at the time, I just decided it wasn't something that I wanted to then go out and repurchase.
0: And, And you said you were commuting. Were you commuting driving before or commuting on the metro?
3: Yeah, no, I was fortunate at the time. I had a parking space in my office block and I had a parking at home obviously and I quite enjoyed the idea of uh, driving down Shigzai from the marina down to uh, the IFC and back so I used to drive
0: So when you decided to get rid of the car altogether did you look at the costs and analyse how cost effective it would be?
3: When I came back I ended up working um, either from home or I worked out of a co-working space in the JLT and given that it was more economical just to walk And without the hassle of parking and uh, congestion, it just made sense for me because uh, most of the time that I would be out would either be out in the evenings or potentially for a client meeting. But I didn't want the hassle of uh, traffic or parking. uh, So it made much more sense for me to just look at it from an efficiency perspective. But then again, the cost when it came down to the price of taxis or alternative modes of transport, it became easier just to use them than to have the hassle of actually repurchasing a car just for very short commutes.
0: And you still don't have a car now?
3: I don't, and even more so that I ended up... So we've now moved into a, an office in the JLT. I've moved to three different places in the JLT. Uh, and when they bought the introduction of the electric scooters in January of last year, I was quite jealous walking around the JLT where at the time they had the rentals Um, I saw lots of people going around on these electric scooters, and I decided to go and purchase one. And I realized, even at the times where I was in the summer, for instance, spending probably about 50, 60 dirhams of uh, Kareem taxis going back and forth, just the use of the scooter made that much more economical and enjoyable. It's literally a uh, 10-minute door-to-door from the marina to the office.
0: So how much did the scooter cost, if you don't mind me asking?
3: If I remember back in the time, it was about 1,200 to 1,300 dirhams. Um, and that just basically paid itself off, let alone speaking about using it on the weekends to go to the gym or to different sports classes like Barry's and the marina. It's really opened up the whole area of the marina, which I used to run or walk, but make it much more accessible to go to, um, for instance, marina mall to pick up a few things and come back. So um, it's actually been quite enjoyable.
0: So how much do you estimate that you actually spend on taxis every month?
3: We're talking about for personal reasons or professional? Because um, oh, for both. work, I might use them. For, I mean, I think it's about $300, $400 a month, excluding any trips to Abu Dhabi that would make that uh, higher. But in, in, the, in Dubai alone, for meetings in town, it's about that much. Um personally for the evenings, probably something of the equivalent amount for 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 nights out, but then I wouldn't be driving anyway in the evening um if I had a car.
0: So you could still technically get a higher car if you were spending that much every month.
3: You could yeah, absolutely, but it doesn't make sense for uh, I mean again, everything is that I've just mentioned would be for locations outside of the day to day commute. And when it comes to office work, it's easier to be productive in the car, going to meetings uh, without the hassle of parking and, uh, and delays to actually meeting uh, clients. And in the evenings, I wouldn't be driving anyway.
0: You have a point. And also there's higher car. You've still got there's the extra costs that come with that. And then if you own a car, Absolutely. there's the maintenance costs and things like that. Going forward, do you think this is something you're going to stick with? Is it something you recommend to other
3: people? So I I mean, we have considered maybe moving offices to another location. That's a whole different conversation. If I don't have a commute longer than 10 minutes by electric scooter for work, if we were having to go, as I did before, downtown to Marina, Marina to downtown, or those kind of distances, no, then I would look to try and get a car. But for the time being, as long as it's affordably within uh, a 5-10 minute journey to to work from home, then I'm very open to that idea.
0: Well, I think we could all learn from you, Philip. Thank you very much for joining us.
3: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Thank you this week to Louise Burke, Imad Hamad and Philip Bahoshi. If you would like advice on your personal finance issues, you can write to me on pf at thenational.ae. Remember that PF stands for personal finance. Please do subscribe to the podcast in your podcasting app to get weekly updates and also leave a review so we know what you think. This episode was produced by Arthur Edison, Aisha Khan and Erica Elkershi. I've been your host, Alice Hayne.